FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello, welcome back to Castaway. I'm Chris Hudson and you're listening to FIS's Freight and Commodity Podcast. It is Wednesday the 16th of June and this is episode 59 and for those people who've been listening to us for a while, you know, I'm amazed as anyone else that we've got to manage to get to uh, 59. But uh, I don't think we predicted that many, that many episodes when we first started this, did we, Chris? No, but, it started uh, out as yeah. a, something to, to get us through the pandemic, which I guess then we didn't <laughs> think it would be that long. But uh, episode 59, and for those who uh, missed last week, we had a fantastic episode with Pete Tanner from Fast Markets talking about iron ore. So if you did miss that, do check that out after listening to this week's podcast. But we have our usual suspects on the podcast this week. We have Kerry and we have Theo. And I see you again, guys. Um, but in terms of our podcast this week, let's go through our usual market update in terms of the news, uh, indexes, and then a bit more in depth on our main market movements. So the news this week, uh, G7 leaders backed a global minimum corporation tax uh, of at least 15%. Uh, Pedro Castillo <laughs> narrowly won Peru's presidential runoff election with 50.2% of the vote. The American Senate passed a bill to counter China's rise in technology with funding for research, artificial intelligence, quantum computing and chip manufacture. China's producer price index, measuring the cost of goods leaving factories, surged 9% in May, causing a rising caused by rising raw material costs. El Salvador became the first country to accept Bitcoin as legal tender. The Keystone XL pipeline was officially scrapped after President Biden refused to grant access to cross-American territory. And the EU looks set to approve its first installment of a 800 billion euro pandemic recovery fund. But moving on to our indexes and the changes that we've seen week on week. This is uh, Tuesday the 7th versus yesterday, Tuesday the 15th. On oil and product front, we've seen... Uh, Move up again, 73.70 closing on FIS close, up 2.9% from last week. Uh, all the fuels as well have moved up uh, in sequence with crude. 393.80, rot 3.5%, up 2.3%. 40705, up 2.8% on the SING380. Rot 0.5, up 1.6%, still over that, moved over that 500 uh, range now. 504.15, up from 49604 last week. 523.40, the SING0.5%, up one3 uh, the high fives have taken a bit of a pause. Uh, 111 was closing for the rot high five last week, 110 now, slightly down. Uh, and sing high five, 120 to 116 closing last night, down 3.3%. Uh, Kerry, what about the freight indexes? Well, the Cape Size 5 TC average is at $30,640. That's up $10,795 or a remarkable 54.3% in the past week. Uh, Panamax 4TC at 29.328. That's up 3,724 or 14.5% week on week. And Theo, the iron ore. Uh, in iron ore, the plat 62% uh, index was $222.35, up $11.95. That's 5.68% week on week. A fast market 65% was $250.80, up $11, which is 4.59% week on week. And the fast market 65 versus the flat 62 spread uh, was $28.45 down, 95 cents, which is down 3.23% week on week. And to round off the indexes on the tankers, TC2 up 0.3%, 110.56 closing, 88.93 on the TC5 up 2%. Uh, TD3C uh, down 
31.09%, closing. And for the TD25, uh, 71.17, up 4%. Uh, but moving on to the more in-depth reasons for the markets, anything we've been seeing on, going on there. Theo, why don't you kick us off with iron ore? Um, what have we been seeing more in-depth in the market for the last week? Okay, well, I'm, I'm starting on a sad note. Um, last Friday in the northern province of China, in Zanzi, a, um, a flood incident occurred and uh, 13 people were trapped. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been said that uh, 11 workers are now being killed and two still remain um, to be uh, rescued. So it's a bit of, bit of a sad note. Um, another news, um, close to my heart, I guess, I've got some interesting statistics. China's May electricity consumption maintained a high growth rate of 12.5% year on year. That's up 18.7% month on month. And January May to um, total electricity consumption accumulated to 3.23 million terawatt hours, which is up 17.7% year on year. And that, like I've been highlighting a lot, that, that actually explains the uh, production output from um, the steel mills. So China has uh, stepped up its campaign to rein in commodity prices and reduce spe- speculation a bit to ease the threat of this pandemic rebound from soaring raw material costs. The uh, state-owned Asset Supervision and Administration Commission has ordered state-owned enterprises to control risks and limit their exposures to overseas commodity markets. And these companies have been asked to report their future positions for review. In a second development, the uh, National Food Strategic Reserve Administration will soon release state stockpiles of metals, including copper, aluminium and zinc. And these metals will be sold in batches to fabricators and manufacturers. We saw metal prices in London and Shang- Shanghai fall and has the, uh, also has the Singapore iron ore and Dali and iron ore contracts. These, these actions actually have not been seen for years um, and they do boost short-term supply. China doesn't have much information about the volumes it holds in state reserves, but the government quietly sets aside commodities as a way of insulating from future price spikes. So the raw materials can be released in emergencies, such as previous instances of selling pork to cool inflation concerns due to shortage in the staple meat. Um, production, as I, was, I hinted before, uh, of steel in May could show another record high with figures being released at some stage today. My Steel Global estimates the run rates are about 3.3 million tonnes a day. That would push the total to the month above 100 million tonnes for the first time and put the industry well on its way to surpassing last year's peak of the 1 billion tonnes. So that uh, electricity consumption pretty much is shown in there. Uh, China's bid also to contain inflationary pressures in the economy has since kicked into higher gear. And over the second month, uh, half of the month, they will have uh, cut productions and incentives in place. So demand for production, uh, sorry, for construction is also expected to weaken as hot and rainy, rainy summer, summer weather slows activity on building sites. Uh, on the physical side, physical iron ore prices remain stable. Port PDF traded at 1,150 RMB a tonne, and seaborne iron ore premiums traded a historical high at July Platts Index plus $10.10 a tonne. Traders uh, shun away from fixed prices and most likely expecting prices to, shop, to soften, but they do expect more volatility. Chinese meals have been buying hand-to-mouth over the por- from the ports over several weeks, and increasing Chinese steel margins could increase restocking demand for meals, nudging port prices higher in the near term. Since May, Chinese port medium-grade prices have been consistently more expensive than seaborne on the CFR Quindale basis. This positive spread 
spread, which is the import margin, gives traders the confidence to bid for seaborne cargoes, since even selling at ports um, as a last resort can still receive a yield of profit. And finally, my still yeah. port figures show that uh, Australian Brazil iron ore inventory um, as the delivery is at 26.14 million tonnes, which is up 1.1 million tonnes week on week. That's the wrap-up of the iron ore world. Uh, Theo, just one question. I mean, we've seen those uh, steel mill margins come off quite sharply, obviously. I mean, they came you know, down from that May high of, I think, uh, 1,700, just above 1,700 RMB a tonne. Um, down to an average now, I, I see of about four nine one. We haven't marked at least according to the Bloomberg overall Chinese mill profitability uh, average. Um, you know, we've said all along that this rally is steel led. Um, you know, seeing as how we're crossing below that sort of five hundred RMB a ton profit margin, do we see any incentive for the mills to slow down? I mean, my instinct is generally not until it gets a lot lower than this. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's not really much of an incentive um, unless I mean, demand will slower though. So if the demand slows, then um, physical HRC and rebound physical prices will start falling as well. So that might not incentivize it to produce as much. But they had front loaded and um, even when margins were high, we're just producing it at a, at a mammoth rate, and May was just a record month. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, in US dollars, I mean, now we we saw margins drop to below fifty US dollars a metric ton, and now they're starting to creep up again slowly. So um, it is going to be a volatile run, definitely for the next couple of months. Yep, fair enough, fair enough. Um... Exactly, exactly what we expected. And again, as, as we've said many times on this podcast, I think we need to see those margins probably, you know, the warning signs are when they get near zero or below zero for the mills. Uh, that, that's the warning sign for a, a, a substantial and sudden slowdown in purchasing. Yeah. And, and Theo, you outlined <clears throat> on your indexes the, the spread between the 65% and the 62%, something which we've highlight, highlighted as a kind of an ESG play in terms of pollution because you don't need it. Uh, as much uh, cocaine coal to be able to produce it from a higher grade of, of iron ore. We've seen that drop, yet still seeing reports of problems of certain regions being told you can't produce so much pollution uh, restrictions. Is there anything in that or is this just a, something else? Uh, no, not really. I mean, they had, there have been uh, news of, uh, of regions being reducing production due to uh, environmental controls. I mean, margins are still close enough to 30, um, 30 US dollars a tonne, which is uh, pretty much a guide to being quite stable. So I don't see much in that at the moment. Cool. Thank you, Theo. Uh, if anyone wants to, I guess, once we, we, what we said at the start of the podcast, if anyone wants to hear us a lot more in depth about iron ore, do check out episode 58 of our podcast. But Kerry, moving on to freight. Yeah, well, last week, you know, the relentless gloom in the Cape markets had taken the index sub $20,000. Um, and uh, although we did uh, note that a couple of stronger bids were starting to show up on the deferred dates for that C3 route, Brazil, China. Uh, well, that proved to be the beginning of a, an astonishing bounce back on the Capes, really. Uh, the first hint of a floor on the physical market drove a, a wave of short covering. And I think it's a statement on, on just how short market positioning on the Cape FFAs had become. 
that uh, the gains of Wednesday and Thursday of last week proved very substantial indeed, uh, with the July 5 TC contract jumping over $7,000 in two days. The rebound on these FFAs supercharged the physical market, which saw very, very strong gains in all areas as charters returned to the market in force. By yesterday, we were hearing fixtures done on C5 in the very high $11 to low $12 per metric ton for that West Aussie China route, C5. Um, and while Brazil activity has been more limited still, we did hear uh, bids uh, in some cases above 28 bucks for late July loading dates. Uh, so there's still a premium in place for those deferred dates versus the prompt. After finding some resistance at that $40,000 level on the front month, the paper has pushed above that level with today, July trading uh, 41,625 value and the Q4 trading at 35,325 this morning. And that's all according to FIS Live. It's worth noting, I think, that the gap between the spot and the front month remains in excess of $10,000. Um, you know, here we are sort of halfway through June, uh, more than halfway through June. So perhaps something is going to have to give here. Um, either that physical is going to have to jump a little bit more or we're going to need to take a breather on the paper for a while. The Panamaxes, on the other hand, have been strong and steady throughout, uh, led, as we've mentioned during the past couple of weeks, by red-hot TA and front hall markets uh, in the Atlantic. While this has continued unabated through most of the past week, we did sense a bit of toppiness in that Atlantic market uh, yesterday and the day before with fewer front hall inquiries out of the North Atlantic and TA cargo is also looking a touch thinner on the ground, despite the positive index yesterday. Uh, Brazil has been quieter with eco Camsar Max is only seeing sub 33,000 now retro Singapore for first half July loading. Uh, and the paper did react accordingly. Uh, we stalled a bit on Monday, uh, giving back some of the gains of the past couple of weeks, although I think the continued positive Cape sentiment and the still positive index print on Panamax yesterday led to a, a strong bounce back um, yesterday afternoon and today with July trading at 34,750 this morning and Q4 trading 28,600. Can you talk about the kind of deferred premium that we're seeing on, on the futures market and that difference between the spot and front month difference? So is that more of a over-optimistic statement on the futures <laughs> going, we think this is going to be pretty good for a little while now, yeah. or well, are we going to have a collapse to reality once? Speaking personally, well, I don't think a collapse to reality is going to happen. I think mm. the Cape fundamentals are strong enough that they probably should not have been quite as low as they got, you know, sub $20,000 on the physical index. Having said that, yeah, I think we're seeing a combination of perhaps um, an, an over-enthusiastic bounce back. As I mentioned, a lot of it initially driven by short covering um, on the paper market, uh, plus people looking, as you say, at that, at that deferred premium that the Brazilians are paying. Um, you know, whether or not that can last, anyone's guess, but, you know, you can't go on pricing, you know, the front month uh, at, uh, at, you know, a solid sort of 25, 30% above current index levels, unless you believe the physical market has a lot of room to, uh, to move up. So I think that's the only thing to watch. Um, it's possible that I think we, we, um, we see the market take a little bit of a breather at some point in the near future. But, you know, again, I do think the fundamentals are there to support a physical market, um, you know, in the range of the current index. Yeah. You know, so physical surge or yeah. futures fall. Which exactly. One, well, one of the two is going to have to happen, but I suspect it'll meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, physical continues to push up a bit. 
and we see those futures take a breather uh, for a little while. But let's watch. Oh, I thought you were going to take the extreme view, <laughs> not just uh, splitting the difference. Maybe there's a politician in you yet, Kerry. But uh, moving on to our last product of this podcast for this week, um, oil and products. Um, those who've been watching the market have obviously seen the prices move up slightly on uh, crude. Um, commodity complex kind of came off uh, yesterday generally, but um, oil bucked that trend and has continued to move higher. And if you were watching the ice Brent uh, contract, you saw that that did break above the $74 per barrel level. Um, after last week's around, uh, announcement surrounding the US and Iran, which saw Brent did fall off um, $1.5 uh, in less than 10 minutes uh, on the announcement of that. Um, but you know, we've still seen those talks moving forward. Uh, they were specifically on, on oil and products and the, the kind of energy sector for Iran. So there's con- talks continuing on what else can be sorted out. And uh, we've got obviously the presidential campaign in Iran itself. So that could... Uh, throw other things into the situation changing situation uh analysts have said that these longer talks go on there is the greater change obviously to change of government and therefore you know restarting of talks completely change of government position on the iranian side um but i'm pretty sure that as biden was a strong supporter of that 2015 Iranian deal that he would like to put something in place. So do keep an eye on what's going on there. And we will, of course, bring up updates um, on what's happening on that market uh, specifically. Uh, prior to the release of inventory reports for the um, the API, the American Petroleum Institute, uh, the U.S. Information Administration uh, analysts surveyed uh, by Platt said that their refining, uh, rising refinery demand is expected to have pulled U.S. stocks 4.1 million barrels lower. So we are seeing that kind of drawdown of of materials into refineries. Um, if you look at last week's numbers, we did see that. Fairly significant draw on crude. Uh, this is the EIA statistics for last week, uh, 5.2 million <clears throat> draw. But big builds again on products, gasoline up 7 million, yeah. distillates up 4.4. So you can see that huge draw of crude to create those products that we're seeing. Um, if you look again at this week, uh, this is a similar story prediction from the API. Um, they posted a prediction that they expected a draw on crude uh, to 8 million barrels. So you know, three million more, almost three million more from from last week, uh, with products posting small builds. So again, a similar situation of large drawdown in crude and builds in products. Um, if we move to the IEA and said its monthly report that the uh, the OPEC and allies, uh, OPEC plus, would need to boost outputs to meet demand. Um, obviously, with economies coming out of of lockdown. Uh, so you know, that's something that we've known for a while. Has been the big debate within OPEC. You know, how slowly or how quickly do they change their production levels? And, and it's interesting to, to see how those projections have changed a little bit in terms of price. I mean, we have been debating for some time how high could this go. Um, you yourself said, you know, it's likely to break 70 at some point. Here we are above mm-hmm. 70. I do see one or two of the big banks now calling 100 bucks. Uh, uh, the classic <laughs> 100 bucks story. Yeah, exactly, which is, I guess, the next big question. Any thoughts on that, Chris? Well, we will get this every single every single year, I think, almost, <laughs> apart from the, the crazy year we've had um, for the last year. But we always get these stories, and then we get to about 80, and it kind of chickens out. Yeah. It's that thing, you're like, oh, we're nearly at 90, you get those stories again, but no. Yeah, one has to think that, especially with Biden's commitment to try and get some form of agreement with Iran, that, uh, yeah. that uh, surely supply will expand enough to uh, keep us from getting there, but then who knows? But you know, <laughs> I guess the only thing that's going to be different that could push us up on that is 
investment in new production. And because of all the problems we've had this year, because of the low price as well, investment in new production has been fairly low. So you could have a situation where whatever problem occurs, let's say, you know, all the discussions with Iran fall back again, and then that comes in, price is obviously going to kick up on that. You have problems of other demand structures, you could have a geopolitical event, and then the problems of lack of investment in new production, yeah. 100 bucks, it would be well within reaches. So a Very lot of true, factors yeah. need to come into to have that happen. And if those kind of things were starting pushing forward, then I think that the impetus would be more on the US and its allies to be able to uh, increase export exports from Iran, which would be you know helping that. But it's in OPEC's interest, obviously, to be pushing up this price in a, in a healthy range, and we're in that right now. But to get to a hundred bucks, it starts to get uncomfortable for everyone else. Well, exactly, exactly. So let's wait and have see. You, uh, have, you, have you checked the open interest of the uh, one hundred uh, strikes? Anyone done that? We, no, we haven't. We have something probably for next week then. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, look at. I mean, that usually gives you an indicator of which direction the uh, trade is going with. Yeah, but um, back to what we talk about with the IEA in terms of uh, statistics. So, global oil demands, uh, they have said well, for 2021 is unchanged at 6 million barrels per day, um, expected to reach a total of 96.58 million barrels per day. And it's lower than the average global oil demand for 2019 by about 3.39 million barrels per day. Um, and downward revisions of the OECD cancelled upward revisions in the non-OECD. So kind of flattening out on things which are going forward. But this is going to go into next year as well and all those situations and changes that we could have. And hopefully uh, UK's new date of, what's it, that terrible term, Freedom Day on 19th of July. And many other countries, <laughs> yeah, with many other countries to, to follow from that I thankfully got my vaccine this afternoon so we'll see but hopefully many other countries will follow and the impact that that has economically for a lot of countries and supercharging a lot of talk of supercharging over exactly. overheating of, of economies and things going forward so that will definitely have a, a big impact on on all demands in the same way that theory can keep bringing us all those um electrical consumption figures to to see where we are with with economies a very good predictor of economic activity on, on top of that and then finally, just to look at a bit more in terms of the physical sides, um, this is looking at a lot of stuff, which is Platts, uh, S&P Global Platts has published. Uh, Singapore low sulfur bunker sales were lower in May um, with traders' views, supporting traders' views that demand remained kind of a little lackluster in the first half of the year, which is no surprise at all. Compared to delivered marine fuel, uh, there's 0.5%, that's the very low sulfur fuel oil in Singapore. It seems that the discount for the grade delivered uh, uh, averaged around 3.83% uh, compared to Zuhan prices and dipped to a multi-month high uh, of 15.25 per tonne. Uh, that was in May 25th. Um, sale, sales of the of IMO compliant grades uh, were up 4.5% on the year. Uh, that's to 2.78 million metric tonnes in May, uh, but fell at 1.3% for April, according to initial data from the Maritime and Port Authority of Singapore. Um, but low bunker fuel sales accounted for 68.2% of total sales. Um, that was up point from 66.1% in April. So a significant part of the market. But if we were sitting here a year ago and you said, give me a percentage of sales, we probably thought that was probably higher. So it does seem that that scrubber spread, uh, which we on the indexes this morning, you know, fairly unchanged, still 
both over 100 bucks. Yeah. Uh, 110 rot, 116 on the Singapore has meant that a lot of people are still using that high sulfur fuel oil if you're losing that figure. So exactly. futures markets thinks that's going to continue. And well, we do, talked about carbon emissions and all those problems previously as well. You know, the diversification of fuel. If you only got 68% of your standard fuel grades, then what's everyone else using? <laughs> uh, on those exactly. things and the problems in terms of operational factors um of the ship but unless we've got any points from theo or kerry uh for the we will finish that's it this for week. me this week cool well yeah, done guys me. i just did a quick check on, i just did a quick check on the open interest of wti 100 calls and they actually do exist uh the 98 calls got 2500 lots of open interest and the 100 strike has 719 lots of open interest there you go there we go there we are. What a point to end. So we will obviously be seeing you next week uh, to all our listeners. And Theo and Kerry, obviously, thank you for bringing all your knowledge again to this week. Uh, but to everyone else, I uh, hope you are well and we will see you next week.